0: Well, I wasn't sure how that was going over. (laughs) Still not sure. Um, I was looking with Matthew in chapters 5 and 6 so far, and I noticed that that word just kept repeating time after time after time again. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness... um, I have not to, uh, I have come not to abolish the laws, but to fulfill them uh, just time and time and time again, something like twenty butts we 've had so far, and they don 't begin uh, they don 't end with the scripture that we 're reading today they don 't end with the scripture that we have next week there 's buts all through the Bible, so I thought, let me look and see if I can find something that goes along with this at all, and that 's where I found this uh This video. I hope it wasn't uh, uh, too much for early in the morning. I think that guy's on a lot of coffee, a lot of caffeine, a lot of caffeine. So we'll try to tone it down a little bit. We are working through the book of Matthew. We're working through the Sermon on the Mount that that, uh, those of us in the church call the, the portion of Scripture Jesus was teaching on a mountain. He had a message, so it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the portion of scripture that we're looking at today has to do with our treasures. Our treasures. What are our treasures? It's, the last week, Walt said that every time he gets up to speak, it's on uh, forgiveness, it seems like. And it seems to me like when it comes to my turn, it's always on money. Uh, but this one is not necessarily just about money. This is about treasures. Uh, um, more than just money, it's really talking about your life as a whole. Of course, treasure. Uh, of course, money is tied up in the treasure idea here as well. So we're not going to steer away from that. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter six, we're looking at verses 19 through 24. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles here. If you don't have one at all, we'd love to give you one. If you need one for today, just come up and and grab one on either side. Use it. Um, the message will or the The Scripture will also be on the screen as well. So any of those uh, avenues for looking at the Scripture. In this church, we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. It's the only rule for faith and life, and we, we adhere strictly to it. So listen as we read God's Word, beginning at verse 19. "'Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, "'where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal.' Here it is. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if we uh, grasp Jesus' teaching in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, I believe it will, we use this word a lot around here, I believe it will renovate. Our lives in three ways. First of all, it will renovate our security, it will renovate our vision, and it will ultimately renovate our relationship with God. I was thinking about um, our security in particular this week, and we have a lot of idols in our lives in the 21st century in this Western culture, a lot of idols. And I, I could have listed 50 probably, but I chose to look at real briefly just three of them. And the first idol that I want us to look at here is money divorced from reality. Money divorced from any sort of reality. While we know that uh, money doesn't make us happy, somehow it's a powerful force in all of our lives. And it has an influence and a, a pull on us or it has had at some point in each of our lives. Each one of us here would say that's true. Money, and especially money for uh, money that's divorced from reality, is something we treasure in the 21st century. It carries with it a danger, though, of materialism and consumerism and a w- new word that I found this week called affluenza. Affluenza. That was a term that was uh, coined by a psychologist named Oliver James, and he he describes it this way. He says, affluenza is an obsessive, envious, keeping up with the Joneses, buying things we don't need, with money that we don't have to satisfy needs that can't be satisfied by material things. Can you relate to that? Uh, We got a bunch of people a few miles up the road here in a little place called Washington that need to understand this concept as well. The second idol of the 21st century that I thought we might briefly look at is sex. Sex divorced from commitment. Um, And by commitment, I mean sex divorced from marriage, from a covenant relationship with our wives and our God. As a matter of fact, sex is now divorced even from love as well. In Esquire magazine, October uh, 2008, this joker named David Baddiel from England wrote uh, an article titled Sex Without Love. And he says, Love is something that's been invented purely to suppress us. It's time that love and sex got divorced. Have sex without pressure. But whatever you do, don't think that you have to be in love. That's the culture that we're involved in today. It's on TV, it's in the movies, it's everywhere we look. Sex divorced from commitment, one of the idols. The third idol that I thought we might look at is fame. Fame divorced from any kind of achievement. People now want to be famous for just being famous. <laughs> I read an article in a, in a, about a new school, I was at the doctor's office this week, and. Everything that I have here in the sermons out of the magazines at the doctor's office, I think. Uh, I read an article about this school that opened up in New York City, and it's devoted to uh, training people, aspiring reality TV stars, to train them and develop them, these people that are non-actors, so they'll be exciting, confident members of a reality TV cast. You see, people want to be famous... And, and if they can't be famous, the second best thing is to know somebody that's famous. And if they can't know somebody that's famous, then the next best thing to that is to know about famous people. So a whole culture has grown up around People magazine, where most of my really important stuff comes from, uh, TMZ, and American Idol. All these cultures that we have going on that we feel like we have to be a part of, we have to know about, because we might go to the beauty shop and they're talking about it and we don't know what they're talking about. We, we want to be a part of it. So how can we avoid this kind of idolatry? How can we be ambitious in the right way? That's what Jesus is teaching here. And how can we handle money and our treasures well? Most of us, i bet, most of us deal with money on a daily basis. But we prefer not to talk about money in church. You're not supposed to, you know, bring it to church and talk about it. But Jesus talked about money a great deal. And in Matthew 6, he puts before us a blunt choice with two options. And in doing this, he echoes back to Elijah in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, a a scripture that Walt used several weeks ago. And and Elijah asked his people... How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. Which one are you going to follow? Jesus lays out three opportunities for us too. And then He calls us to have undivided hearts. The first opportunity is security. Security. He says invest your life for a high rate of return. Invest your whole life, not just your money. Invest your life. What does he mean not to store up treasures on earth? He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss or rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. What does that mean? Sometimes I like to look at the scripture in the opposite way from what it's being said to try to understand really what's happening. So what does Jesus not say in the Scripture? The first thing that Jesus does not say, he does not say that Christians are required to give away all the money they have. That's a big whew, isn't it? He's not requiring us to give away everything. In only one recorded case in Scripture, and that was with the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, did he tell anybody to give away everything he had? And the only reason he told him was because the man's heart was so tied up in his things that he couldn't really see how to enter the kingdom of heaven. He couldn't loose himself from those things to be a part of uh, God's kingdom. Um, Joseph of Arimathea continued to be wealthy even after he became a disciple of Jesus. Scriptures seem to point that that's more the example. Uh, the same thing's true with Nicodemus, who came to to visit Jesus one night, <clears throat> and he was a rich man as well. And in Luke chapter eight, Jesus was. It says in the scripture that Jesus was supported by wealthy women. That there were a lot of women in this troop. It wasn't just the twelve disciples. It was a bunch of people that were going around following him with teaching and, and helping. And they did uh, most of the support of finding a place to stay, food to eat, all the, all the uh, mechanical things that are part of ministry. The second thing that Jesus doesn't say is he, he doesn't say that it's wrong to either make or invest money. He doesn't have a problem with that. If you think to the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, he speaks approvingly. Of making money. In fact, some people are called to make money. They're called to make money and lots of it for the glory of God, that can be used in His kingdom. There's a fellow named Dave Ramsey. Some of you may have may be familiar with him from radio or TV. And Dave Ramsey is a strong Christian. He has an organization called Financial Peace University over in Nashville, Tennessee. And Dave loves to teach people financial. Principles. Dave is a student of a of a fellow that some of you older folks may remember named Larry Burkett. Uh, Larry Burkett died of cancer a number of years ago, but Dave was one of his students, and he's carried this to the to the next level. And what Dave does is he gives biblical principles to us that show us how to take care of our money. So not only will we be comfortable ourselves and have all of our needs taken care of, but he, he also, as part of his teaching, shows us how if we save money, we'll have money to give away. We can help the needy, we can help the poor, we can help those that uh, need our help. Jesus also does not say that it's wrong to save. He doesn't say it's wrong to save. The New Testament encourages... Us to provide for other people, especially it says for our immediate family. In the New Testament, uh, uh, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he, in essence, says we have a duty to provide for other people, particularly our immediate family. First Timothy five eight says this: <clears throat> If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, I guess I had read that a hundred times and I just skipped over it till I was looking at it this week we're supposed to provide for our families that's part of what we're called to do Jesus even called on the carpet those who excused the fact that they were not looking after their parents financially because instead they were spending their money for God that's the excuse they used on the basis that they were setting aside their money to be used for God the money that they would have used to look after their, their families. That's in Mark chapter 7, verse 9, if you want to check that one. That's another one that's obscure and I had forgotten about. So Jesus and Dave Ramsey agree that saving enables us to provide for the needs of others. And Jesus does not say that it's wrong to enjoy the good things of life. He doesn't have anything against us having the good things of life. God has provided, it says in 1 Timothy 6, God has provided us with all things richly to enjoy. Therefore, our pleasure. Jesus ate with the rich and privileged. He didn't have any problem with the privileged. He went to a lavish wedding, you remember? And he even made it more lavish when he turned the water into wine. So having those things was not a problem with him. In the Old Testament, having wealth was seen as a blessing from God. We have examples like uh, Abraham and Solomon. But under the New Covenant, God's blessing seems to be not so much about material possessions as it is spiritual possessions. It's changed from out there to in here. Excuse me, I'm trying to get rid of a a cough before it comes out. Okay, if those are the things that Jesus did not say in this passage, then what did he say? Well, the first thing Jesus said is that he's not so much concerned with our wealth, but with our hearts and our affections. It's not our wealth he's after. It's the motives behind the wealth. What what do we do with the things that we have? And affections. What what I mean by affections? (coughs) What I mean by affections is what do you think about when your mind is in neutral? When you're sitting there not thinking, what are you thinking about? Where does your mind go? Does it go to spiritual matters? Does it go to material matters? Does it go to one of the idols, the, the money or the sex or the fame? What does, your, what does your mind go to when it's in neutral? And Jesus is not so much concerned with money, but with the love of money. If that money becomes an idol, that's the problem that, that he has with us. Timothy, uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy that money is... The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I think Jesus would um, frown on self-accumulation, just accumulating wealth for accumulating wealth. Um, I, I, this, is, this is another one of those little quotes out of a, uh, an outdated um, People Magazine this week, uh, they were interviewing Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he said something like, I mean, this is way before, he, he was governor of California, but this is way before all this stuff blew up in the, in the press, he said, uh, money doesn't make you happy. He said, I'm, I have $50 million, and I'm not any more happy than I was when I had $48 million. <laughs> That's kind of the attitude. That is going on. In other words, Jesus uh, condemns materialism and unhealthy obsession with with uh, things and trust in in things. I think that's maybe the key. We begin to trust in those things instead of trusting in God. That's that's why he despises uh, for us to to uh, hang on so tightly to the things of this world. <clears throat> Jesus's teachings in this section of scripture, this 19 through uh, 20, can be described in two ways, I believe. He says, the problem with storing up treasures in earth is not that they promise security, but they actually lead to perpetual insecurity. Got that? Because moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. We have to worry about those things. George Harrison George Harrison, despite all the money that he made as being a Beatle, said, for every hundred pounds you earn, you get a hundred pounds worth of problems. Sundar Tapa, a pastor in Nepal that you've heard me talk about, uh, said to me one time, George, the more money you have, the more worry you have. Lots of money, lots of worries. Little money, little worries. That pretty much sums it up. Seneca, the elder, the Roman statesman, said, money has never made anyone rich. Oh, how true. Talk to the richest man in the world and see just how happy that person is. Makes you anything but happy. Jesus is uh, saying that materialism leads us away from God, not to God, but away from God. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's just kind of natural. Instead of investing and storing up treasures on earth, we should be investing and storing up treasures in heaven. And how do you do that? How do you make that happen? Well, he's not talking here about earning your salvation. It has nothing to do with with doing this in order that you might buy your way into heaven. That's not what he's talking about. Investing in his kingdom will primarily mean putting our time and our energy and, yes, our money into people. Into people. It will mean, among other things, investing in the evangelization of our cities, our country, and the world. And this will include things like being parents, who bring up our children to be Christ followers and caring for the ex offender for the homeless for the poor those are the things that invest in the kingdom of god and we are in the 21st century so we have to ask this question what's in it for me what's in it for me the storing up treasures in heaven and i can think of of two things number 1 is the investment is totally secure And it will last forever. Totally secure and will last forever. I put on your sheet there a big idea. We try to do that each week. And the big idea for this week is this. It's always a good bargain to exchange the temporary for the eternal. That's a good investment. Exchange what's temporary for what's eternal. First Peter 1, three through 3-4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you. There you go. That's an investment. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. One guy says, said to me, uh, he can't wait to get to heaven to see the people in heaven that he may be impacted in his life that he knows nothing about and I think maybe all of us have have influenced someone either you know, religiously or secularly in one way or another and we're not aware of it. I taught school for years and I can remember having kids come back to me from college saying oh, thank you for being well, they used uh, they used terms that I probably shouldn't use for being a a, a uh, hard nosed uh, English teacher and teaching me all that English stuff because I never had to crack a book in college. All because of you. Well, they were the worst students I had. I thought they hated me, and I pretty much hated them at the time too. But you never know what influence you're going to have on another person by something that you do or say. The second thing is our hearts will follow our treasure. Our hearts will follow our treasure. We talked about three secret disciplines that uh, Jesus was bringing to the folks there on the Sermon on the Mount. The first was uh, uh, giving. The second was prayer. And the third was fasting. So giving is one of the secret disciplines. People who give to the library are usually the ones who are most passionate and committed to the perpetuation of the library. People who give to political campaigns are usually the ones that are most passionate about the candidates that are running. People who give to the church are usually the ones that are most committed to seeing that the kingdom of God is advanced. As we give generously to the kingdom of God, our hearts follow our money you may have been watching the the news this week or looking at the newspapers or that's kind of you know it's it's too old news when when you're dealing with what we looked at this week but as the stock market went up and down and up and down and up um, some people were wondering what in the world am i going to do they have a they have stock in a company a single company, and then we'll see what that company's going to do. Maybe it's Starbucks, Walt, I, and if, if they probably did pretty well, I understand Apple is like has more money than half the governments in the world. Uh, but if we have money invested in a company, even if it's in the stock market, and we only have a few shares of that stock, we are passionate about watching to see what that company's doing. Our hearts are become tied up in that company. We act like we own the company, which I guess you do in, 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 a, in a way, you own a small portion of the company. We act like we are the CFOs of the company if we have money in, a, in the stock market in uh, a particular compa- a company. So our hearts follow our treasure. It's just, it's just uh, human nature that we do that. The second opportunity that Jesus offers to us is vision refer- uh, renovation. He wants us to fix our eyes in the right direction. In this next portion of Scripture, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. <clears throat> but if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within your dark within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And Jesus puts before us two possibilities for vision in this in this scripture. He says, Uh, I'm going to use the analogy of physical eyes for you, he says. If our eyes are working properly, then we'll have light. If your eyes are not working properly, you're in darkness, you're blind. One of the two. Those are the two visions. And at a spiritual level, this is true also. The eyes are the windows to the soul. So it matters greatly where we set our spiritual sights. Do we set our sights on God or on greed? Do we set our sights on eternity or on envy? What do you spend your time planning? What do you spend your time planning? What do you dream about? Where does your effort and energy go? Jesus warns us that if our eyes are bad, our whole bodies are full of great darkness. And TJ, this is what I had the Greek New Testament out for because I wanted to see what the word was that was used here for, for bad. And the word that's used for bad is evil. He's saying if our eyes are evil, if I have an evil eye, it's not fixed on Jesus, but on selfish gain and materialism. If I have an evil eye, it's not fixed on Jesus, but on obtaining more for myself. An evil eye is full of lust and greed and avarice and resentment. And such an evil eye harbors, among other things, jealousy. Jealousy for those that have stuff. Jealousy for those that have accomplished things. And jealousy for those that have made a name for themselves in their fields, legitimately. We're jealous of them. Uh, Iago, in Shakespeare's play Othello, has this great line. He says, The green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. Don't you love Shakespeare? I mean, some of of it is awful, but this green-eyed monster, you can just see that. And we say he's green with envy. That's That's where that phrase came from. Um, I got a uh, email this week. Um, frequently, uh, if, if I'm speaking, uh, we have a young lady in the church that is away from us right now. She's up in Salisbury, and she'll email me and want to know, you know, what what we're talking on, what how's it going, what path are you taking. And I was telling her about finding this uh, video that you watched this morning about butts, and. She said, well, I'd like to share a story with you. And she sent me this day before yesterday. It says, she's up there helping with her grandmother who has Alzheimer's right now. Granddaddy died eight and a half years ago. Up to that point, he handled every aspect of their finances. He told dad that dad would have to take over when he was gone. After granddaddy's death, though, grandmother stepped into her new role as CFO with a vengeance, lived it, breathed it, told people about her bank statements, play by play. It was cute at first, but then it just consumed her and drove her lifelong friends away from her. In the last couple of months, she's made some bad decisions and would have no part of any help from anyone. She said <clears throat> she knew what she was doing and that she had it all under control. I watch her now she's lost. Her identity is in all that financial stuff, and now that stuff's out of her hands, and she really doesn't want to live if she can't be the CFO. The irony between us two is scary. I did the very same thing as she, only worse because I don't have Alzheimer's. I had wanted into music for ages, and when I saw the opportunity, I grabbed it and became a one-woman PR firm. Manager, merchant, t-shirt designer, album cover designer, media coordinator, website designer, and everything else, you name it. Was good at it, too. My people won awards, had number one hits, sold more albums, you name it. The work so consumed me, that I did it on a volunteer volunteer basis. Yeah, I didn't want the pay, just the name. It was that bad. My butt went something like this at first. Well, yes, I'm I'm playing in bars every night pushing a questionable environment, but I'm saved and my light shines for others and God wants me to be happy. Eventually, I grew more self-righteous and found myself shortening the sentence to, well, but That didn't make things okay with God. Apparently, it didn't matter to him what I was doing, that I wasn't doing anything technically immoral or illegal. His deal was that that he didn't want me in that spot, period. Unfortunately, when he told me to move, I just sat there and looked at him with my butt. So he picked me up and moved me himself. I learned that you can lose your identity as a Christ follower, and it took a full 18 months for me to really believe that I could ever get back to where I'd previously been in my walk with Him. And now I'm left with uh, separation anxiety whenever I even think about getting away from the Holy Spirit. All this to say that although B-U-T is just three letters long, It can take you on a long, hard journey. Ask the Israelites who wandered in the desert. Ask Naomi who traveled to Moab and back. Or ask me, Carol Ann Halliburton. So in in contrast to the bad eye is the good eye, translated from the Greek word for oneness or singleness Jesus is talking about having a single focus, a single vision to be looking in the right direction. If we're looking in the right direction, everything else tends to fall into place. Sam was telling me, um, I'm trying to teach Sam over the course of the summer. Um, She's getting married in uh, March and I'm trying to teach her to cook. I'm trying to teach her to do some other things. And she said the other day, I've never mowed a yard before. And I'm thinking, oh, this is a great opportunity. I'll get her not only to, t- I won't only teach her how to mow the yard, but I'll get my yard mowed, you know? Um, and I was thinking, how would I do that? So the next time I mowed the yard, I was, I was looking uh, at, the, at the front wheels of the lawnmower as I was going and everything looks pretty good. And then I got over to the other side to turn back and come this way, and the line was sort of like this. You know, I was looking at the front wheels. I needed to be looking at an object off in the distance and going toward that object. Kind of like driving a car. If you, This kind of dates me, but we had hood or- ornaments on our cars back when I was learning. And if, if you would look at the hood ornament and put it on the line on the side of the road, you, you knew you were in the right lane there but oh my gosh you didn't see anything that was happening out beyond you um and i learned that you need to look way off in the distance and and you'd go in in a straight direction it's that way in the spiritual realm as well our hearts follow our eyes hebrews twelve two says let us fix our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of our faith there's an old uh Uh, chorus from a hymn that says turn your eyes on jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace the third opportunity that we have jesus says is relationship renovated relationship spend spend your time working for a liberating boss Verse 24, he says, "'No one can serve two masters. "'Either he will hate the one and love the other, "'or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. "'You cannot serve both God and money.'" And actually, in some of the uh, translations, it says you cannot serve both God and mammon. Well, I I wanted to look up and see what mammon was. And and mammon was uh, uh, a word used to refer to a Syrian god, the god of greed, I also found out that mammon is in Dungeons and Dragons, those of you that may play Dungeons and Dragons, and it it's also uh, has to do with the uh, world of greed. Um, Jesus says no one can be a slave to two masters, either you hate the one and love the other, or you're devoted to one and you despise the other. Money has all the characteristics of a pagan god. That's the point. It seems to offer security and freedom and power and influence and status and fame and prestige. Simon Cowell, who is probably the most hated uh, talent judge on TV, in an interview for People magazine, in response to, to this question, why are you obsessed with adding to your already vast fortune? He said this, Money is what drives me. Money is my God. Wow. Money is a God. Money's capable of inspiring devotion and single-minded preoccupation. Many sacrifice their health for money through stress and long hours, no exercise, no relaxation, Still worse, some sacrifice the lives of others as human relationships are destroyed, completely destroyed. There's no time for a spouse, there's no time for the children, there's no time for friends, there's no time for God. Fourteen-hour days followed by weekends at the office, forfeited holidays. The result is broken marriages and single-parent families. Money is a good servant. This is a Dave Ramsey principle, by the way. Money is a good servant, but a bad master. If we serve money, we will become a slave to money. It's just like seawater. The more you drink, the more you thirst for it. And the problem with money is that we think we own it, but if we're not careful, Money ends up owning us. In closing, there was this. Uh, there's a story of a a Roman, uh, uh, the Roman port of Pompeii, and the year is AD seventy three. <clears throat> of course, Mount v- Vesuvius erupted and, and was spewing ash and lava into the air, and all the people were running for their lives trying to get out of there. And there was this woman who sought to save not only her life but also her valuable jewels. She had her hands full of rings, bracelets, necklace, chains, other treasures. She was running away from the city as quickly as she could when she was overcome by the torrent of ash from the volcano. And she died right there. Well, in the course of modern construction just in the last uh, 10 or 15 years they uncovered her body outside the city her petrified body and all around her were these jewels rings, bracelets trinkets necklaces everything she had that was she thought was valuable she lost her life To save her treasure. And Jesus is imploring us that we should never hold on to the things of this world so tightly. Hold on very loosely to the things of this world. God has given us a simple word. Learn it. Share it. Teach it. Live by it. God gets glorified. People benefit. And we are blessed. That's the why in what we do and you heard the guy say uh, that if your butt is bigger than your why then your butt's too big that's what he meant no ifs, ands or buts about it God thank you thank you for loving us thank you for giving us the simple things of life with which we can, we can carry on our daily living. Help us never to think that those things are just for us and our own use, but they're for the use of others. Help us to be generous in giving everything, our time, our talent, our money, our love, our devotion. Lord, we thank you for bringing us to this table where you gave everything for us as an example of how we are to give for others. Thank you for opening this table to everyone who is a believer in you, that they may come and feast on the riches, the glorious riches, that are prepared here. In Jesus' name, amen. We read in Scripture that on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took, he took bread, and he broke the bread, saying, this is my body, and it's broken for you. I'm taking on me, on that cross tomorrow, all the greed you have. I'm giving you a way for you to lay up your treasures in heaven. I want to make it possible for you to spend eternity with me. And I'm doing so by having my body broken tomorrow. In like way, he took the cup and poured the wine into it, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, your sins. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember my death until I come. In this church, our family uses wine um, for the communion service. As our uh, servers come to receive their elements, they'll go to the two sides here. If you prefer not to use wine but prefer to use juice, there is juice available in either location if you'll just let your server know that uh, you would prefer that. As you come, you can put your, your gifts, your connect cards into the two baskets here. We will have prayer partners on either side. You heard Kanoa in the announcement talking about our prayer ministry team. They would love to pray with you about anything that's on your mind. If there's anything that concerns you, it concerns God even more. He wants you to talk to him about it. And we have some folks here who will be willing to to pray with you and help you. Come, servers.